Good morning. Welcome to Sun Creek United Methodist Church. We're so glad that you're here. And if you're visiting for the first time, then a very special welcome to you. We always want to offer great hospitality, so we extend our hand in friendship. So would you all turn to one another, shake each other's hands, welcome each other to church, will you? Introduce yourselves if you don't know one another. Scripture reading this morning is from Psalms 105, uh, verse 4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Summer's just about over, and I've been sitting with some friends and telling vacation stories, and I was sitting with my friend Lisa this past week, and she talked about her whole family going down to the beach, and talked about, it was extended family, so they really, um, really crowded at the beach area there in front of their beach house, and she said it was the last day, and they were collecting all their things to get up and go back home, and so everybody was picking up shovels and, you know, pails and all the things children play with in the sand, and uh, saying goodbye to their sandcastles, and she noticed that her niece, Sarah, was not really helping with anything and was just sort of standing there in the sand staring off into the ocean, and so she, you know, there was plenty of help, so she just kind of ignored it, and they went on, and um, then they had everything picked up. They were ready to go, and they were walking off, and um, Sarah's mom yells, come on, Sarah, let's go, and um, Sarah's still standing off um, looking at the ocean, and Lisa said, I noticed she looked a little anxious staring into the ocean. And so um, another relative went over to Sarah after everybody was just almost cleared the beach and said, Sarah, why aren't you coming? What's going on? And Sarah said, well, somebody has to turn off the water. <laughs> well, you know, this relative, an aunt, sat down and um, gently and patiently explained to this little girl about this water that um, continues to flow endlessly and that it's not water that you can turn off. And we're very thankful that Sarah's green. But, um, but it, was, it was a real revelation to her to learn about water that could not be turned off. And so I was reminded as I had that image in my mind of this relative kneeling in the sand and patiently explaining about the water that never ceases to flow 
about Jesus, um, who also knelt and patiently and lovingly explained to, um, to the Samaritan woman about the water that does not cease to flow, about a water that continues to flow endlessly into our lives that no one can turn off, that no one is more powerful than this living God who flows into our lives with love. And he tells this to a Samaritan woman who truly needed to hear that. We, we know something about the Samaritans. We know they were outcasts. And, and being a woman, you know, even more so a second-class citizen, we had to have some sense when we read that story in the Gospels that this is a woman who was thirsty. We also know she'd been married multiple times. And so something in her life was just not right side up, and, and the hunger and thirst must have been plain on her face when Jesus spoke to her about drinking from a well, drinking from um, the water that, that will enable her to never thirst again. And so what a, what a beautiful image of a water that flows and, and that come to us and, and that is love so grand and so big and so powerful that no one can stop it from coming to us. Um, I am very aware of, as you are, of the thirst that exists, not just in the days of Jesus, but exists in communities around the world. Um, people who have been embattled in our world, people who are were struggling with poverty. And I was reading recently about Ireland because I, my 50th birthday is coming up a couple weeks. And Someone gave us the gift, my family, of a trip to Ireland in October, and so we're headed to Ireland for a few days, and, um, and as I was reading about Ireland, I came across a real curious piece of information about a bridge in the town of Galway, and in Galway, there's this bridge that um, is called the Salmon Weir Bridge, but it's known in the community as the Bridge of Size. And it connects, interestingly enough, this old courthouse where judgment is passed and has been passed for years and years and years um, with a prison that's across the bridge. What an image of someone um, over these last, you know, 20, 30 years even because Ireland has not been a peaceful place in recent history. And, and so there's a strong image of someone who has known judgment in the courthouse, been sentenced to prison, and then walks across this bridge, escorted, I'm sure, um, into the prison. Judged in the courthouse, walks across the bridge, into the prison, and the kind of sigh that might have erupted from one who was about to lose their freedom. And I, I think about Ireland, and I think about other places who, who've had such a longing for freedom, who've had such a thirst for peace, who've been so hungry for there to be harmony between themselves and those with whom they share life, especially in their immediate world, in their immediate neighborhoods. I was reading this past week in the Christian Century about uh, Zambia and about the more than one million orphans who are living in Zambia, um, orphaned because both of their parents have died of AIDS. And and actually, the number is more than that. This doesn't include those, those persons who've been uh, lost just one parent. This is, these are people who've just lost kids who've just lost two parents. And, and you read about the poverty level in Ireland, and you realize that there is, um, you know, folks are living at a, on about $300 a year and barely making it. And yet, 
Some of those who are the most poor are taking in these orphans um, as extended family into their lives, and they're taking care of them. But it means that sometimes they have to choose between feeding these children or sending them to school, paying the fees for their education. And so very difficult life. What's happened is that they've been so uh, focused on the hunger of these children, just getting food in their belly and, and making sure that they, they do their best to see that they're educated, to see that they have shelter over their heads. They spent so much time concentrating on those visible physical needs that, that they have not been taking notice of the grief, nor tending to the grief of these children who've lost their parents. And so in losing their parents, they're acting out in all kinds of ways. Rebelliousness, sleeplessness, anxiety, depression, and wondering what's happening, even confused by these symptoms that they see. I look at that situation in Zambia, and I think, wow, what a, what a thirst in Zambia. What a thirst for, for companionship for these children. What a thirst for an ear that will listen to their loneliness and their pain and their suffering. What a hunger and thirst they have to be held and to be assured that they will never, ever, ever be alone. I know that thirst exists worldwide, and I know that it exists right here in this community of faith and these communities that surround our, our Sun Creek family you know, I, I've said to you before that when I was moved, appointed by the bishop, and, and left East Dallas and 12 years of urban ministry in West Dallas and East Dallas to come to Allen, that there were colleagues who were lifting their eyebrows and saying, why are they doing that with you? You speak Spanish. You can do so much good in the urban area, and the need is so much greater, and they need someone like you, Kathleen, and, and are you surviving out there? I mean, how's it going, you know? And... and um, and, you know, I obviously I came here and I fell in love with you. So, you know, it's easy to be here. It's very easy to be here. But the other thing that I have taken note of is that your thirst is as great as the thirst that I know in West Dallas and East Dallas. It's different. It looks different. And sometimes it's more invisible to the eye because it's not poverty, not, not typically. I mean, my car is getting ready to break down. I don't know about yours. You know, we struggle with little things here and there, right, with, with kind of making it financially and doing the things we need to do. But we do not suffer from poverty, not most of us in this community. Some of us in this community do. We don't suffer visibly from being in a war-torn country, but we certainly suffer from the hostility that exists between some of us in this community, in our families. And, and so I know that the thirst is just as great here. The difference may be that we have more resources to address the thirst, perhaps, than they do in West Dallas and greater access, but, but the thirst is just as strong. The hunger is just as deep. You all need to hear that you are not alone, that you will never be alone. You all need to hear that there is peace and wholeness and the promise of love just around the corner. You all need to hear that God will bring harmony and hope to your lives. You need to hear this reassuring word of the gospel of Jesus Christ as much as anyone does in West Dallas or East Dallas. The thirst is real. Now, I'm preaching this three-part series and 
And today it is staying in love with God. And I think that Reuben Job, who coined that phrase, would say that if we stay in love with God, our thirst will get met by this great love in God through Christ. And so stay in love with God. Keep your relationship vital. Keep it, keep it alive. And, and I think that the psalmist today would also say that, that if you seek the Lord continually and you seek God's presence, that you will have a relationship that is rich and vital and hope-filled. The whole Psalm 105 is, is asking us to praise God and to trust in God and to, and to trust and believe that God will be there for us. John Wesley takes this third rule of faith to live by, and he says it this way. He says, to have a, a vital relationship with God, you've just got to tend to God's ordinances. That is, you've got to tend to a disciplined life with God. It's really no different from tending to a relationship. If you do not talk with your partner, your, your spouse, with your significant other, if you don't talk and communicate and spend time with those in your life who are important to you, then your relationships will disintegrate. They will disintegrate. Because the way we keep our relationships alive and vital is to communicate and to talk and to open up our heart and to bear what's really in our souls with one another, trusting, trusting that what we share will be met with love. And when it's met with love and grace... And the relationships stay strong and vital and growing and, and eager to, to, um, to know that peace that God promises us. And so we, we have these ordinances, these disciplines, and John Wesley was very specific. He said, if you want to stay vital in your relationship with God, as you would stay vital in any relationship, then, then you must attend public worship. Then you must take the Lord's Supper. Then you must um, pray privately and with your family, that you must search the scriptures, that you must study the Bible, and you must fast. Public worship, the Lord's Supper, praying privately and with your family, searching the scriptures, Bible study, and fasting, six disciplines that Wesley sets out for us that tells us that if we will be disciplined in our life with God, We'll have a relationship with God that's whole and active and alive, that brings us love that we can, we can know is real and that will touch us in a way that will change life for us. Now, I don't know about you, but some of those disciplines are really hard. I mean, I'm really good at public worship. I can check that one off. I come every Sunday to church, just about. So I don't know how you do, but... Um, but if you go down and look at that list, so you get down to the fasting part, and I'm like, oh, man, I really am bad at that. I mean, I'll start fasting during Lent or something, and then two weeks into it, there goes the Oreo cookie, and well, I am terrible at this, you know? So I am not very disciplined when it comes to fasting. These days, Bill's, Bill goes, do not fast. This is not part of your, your treatment. And I'm saying, you're right, you're right, you're right. So there goes all those Oreo cookies, you know? But um, I think that there's going to be some disciplines we're really good at and some disciplines that we're not so good at. We're going to have to keep working at it, right? There is a, a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, Peter Marty, who says that if we expect our spiritual life to be one euphoric experience after another then we probably would never come back to church, right? We'd probably just say goodbye to the whole thing because that's not what a life of faith is like. He said, particularly when you think about public worship, 
If you think it's going to be euphoric every Sunday you come here, then um, somebody misled you, you know, terribly. He says, really, we need to think about it more like, especially worship, more like a verdant garden that we're going to feast on from, you know, whenever that's set before us. And he says, says, truly, this garden is full of sweet corn and it's full of manure. He said, this, this garden is, is holiness and it is a holy mess. He said, we, we live in a life of faith that is imperfect and doesn't always meet our needs. And so some Sundays it's going to be, what was Kathleen saying? I have no idea what she was saying today. And other Sundays you may leave and go, Holly was amazing. You know, <laughs> Holly was amazing. I got it, and boy, that spoke to my heart. And, you know, and so it's just going to be that way, right? It is going to be that way. So what we, what we do is we understand that it's not always going to be perfect. It's going to be holiness and holy mess in any of the disciplines that we seek to, to bring into our lives as a matter of ritual. But Wesley, Reuben Job, the psalmist would say, that if we'll commit ourselves to a disciplined life, then what happens is we'll come in contact with a God who is real and who is real in love for us. And that does change everything. There's a a pastor who tells a story about doing Palm Sunday in her church, and she um, does it quite like we do, um, which is to dramatize the story. And so they had rehearsed their parts, and as people came into the sanctuary on Palm Sunday, things were dark and and they told, retold the story of Jesus' arrest and, you know, the time in the garden and all that. And, and then they come to the point where, you know, Pilate is um, talking with Jesus and, and talking with the crowds. And, and there are persons who've been planted out in the sanctuary who are supposed to rise up and play their part at the appointed time. So Pilate gets up and he says this, this very famous question of his, which is, what do you want me to do with him, with Jesus? He's got Barnabas there and he's got Jesus there. What do you want me to do with him? And someone who has rehearsed their part well is the first to speak and says, crucify him. And then one by one, you have those who are rehearsed and ready to play their part or very much in the drama, stand up and start shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, those that have been through this before in their service, they kind of know how it's going to end. And so they're just sort of waiting for it to be over, right? But in the midst of those cries, this pastor hears a woman's voice that she knows was not part of the drama. And it is a woman who is standing up and sobbing, and she is crying out, No! Don't do it! Don't kill him! You can't kill him, my sweet Lord! Don't let them do it! And she is so into it. Well, the pastor nods at one of the ushers, and the ushers come over, and they get her, and they escort her out of the sanctuary, give her a cup of coffee, recognizing her as one of the homeless who comes in and out of the church from time to time. And eventually she leaves. Well, the teenager comes up to the pastor, teenager who was sitting right next to this woman, and said, I tried to tell her that it wasn't real. I tried to tell her that it was pretend, that it wasn't real, but she just didn't believe me. She kept saying, no, it's real. It's real. Well, I'd give anything for one of you to walk out of here saying, it's real. It is real. That was so real. Did you hear the music? Did you hear the scripture read? Did you hear the sermon? That was real. That was real. 
so convinced in the story of a God who loves us so much that God would give God's only son for us, believing that's real, believing that God loves us so much that God would give sacrificially to us in that way, that God loves us, that God is with us, that God is always going to be with us and we are never going to be alone, I would give anything for you all to walk out of here on a Sunday and say, that was so real, so real. I went back to my book on Ireland because I remember that there was a note in there about this bridge of size. And the note was that some years ago, the prison was torn down. And in its place, they built the Church of Jesus Christ. And so now, when someone is in the courthouse and they are judged and they're escorted across that bridge, they are facing the Church of Jesus Christ. I pray that their escorts take them right through the doors to kneel at the altar so they may do whatever they need to do with God at that moment in their lives. But my imagination tells me that the sigh that happens across that bridge is no longer a sigh of disillusionment or disappointment or a sigh that they are truly unworthy of anyone's love. My imagination says that those who walk across that bridge now sigh in contentment and in peace and in hope because they see before them the God who is real, present right there in front of them. May we truly seek God continually with all that we are and all that we have so that we may know the God who is so real in love through Jesus Christ. Amen. So best, I can't contain it. So much you gotta give it away. Your love is turning to live now. You are more than enough for me. So blessed, I can't contain it. So much you gotta give it away. Your love is turning to live now. You are more than enough for me. You know, relationships are hard. They're hard to keep vital and strong and rich in love. And, you know, just ask my husband. It's really hard to live with me and, um, and to keep our relationship that vital. And it's hard for me to live with him. And so the two of us really have to work at this. <laughs> Thanks for blowing me a kiss. So, but, you know, I think we're pretty normal. I just think that we have to work at it. I think that, that you all have to work at it. I think we all have to work at it with each other. And so, is it any surprise that we have to work at this with God, that we have to give more maybe than we've been giving so that we can have a sense of the power of that love that is such a gift to us? And so, 
work at it, will you, this week? Will you receive this benediction as you go out into the world? Grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. May this powerful, wonderful God go with you wherever you go this week. May you go in peace. Amen.